This is With Intrepid Heart Sermons, sermons by Rev. Adam Moline of Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. In the name of Jesus, Amen. You may be seated. Dear friends in Christ, it is Advent, and Jesus' Advent is drawing near. He's coming. We heard this message two weeks ago. He's coming into Jerusalem to die on the cross for your sins. We heard it last week. He's coming again on the last day to bring the sinful world to its end and to create a new and perfect world for us to live in forever. Next week we'll hear again how Christ is coming Born of the Virgin Mary, laid in a manger in the little town of Bethlehem. This one week of Advent is just a little bit different in its theme. It doesn't deny that Jesus is coming, but instead it talks about our lives as we wait for him to come. Jesus is coming, but we're here, now, in this sinful, broken world. In fact, you could say, as our Old Testament lesson alludes to, that here on earth we are at war. We're in a world that is decidedly against us against our message, against our God. We are the church militant after all, and daily we fight. Fight against sin, death, and the power of the devil. And not only do we fight against them, they fight against us. This war and its battles are happening all around us, and not only outside of the church. The battles and the wars that we fight take place here, within our own heart, within our own soul. The battles... And the wars are within our own being. Think about it. If our enemies are sin, death, and the power of the devil, where do we find them? To find death, we don't need to go outside the walls of the church. Our members die. To find sin, we don't only need to point at the people down the street we can find sin within our own hearts as well. And how about the devil? Luther is famous to have reputedly said, wherever God builds a church, there Satan builds a chapel. The war against sin, death, and the devil isn't far away. We're not safe from it. The war against those things is fought within us. It's kind of scary 
and depressing to think about, isn't it? But it's true. This Advent, look into your own heart. Be honest with yourself. Examine your own life against the Ten Commandments. What do you find? Have you loved God perfectly? Have you loved your neighbor as yourself? When it comes to God, is he feared, loved, and trusted in above all other things? Or does your heart sinfully love something just a little bit more than him? Are you more afraid of what tomorrow might bring than you are of the God who judges? More afraid of what illness you may face. More afraid of what will happen if society collapses around us. What do you trust in? God or yourself? And when it comes to your neighbor, do you love them or do you despise them, avoid them, deride them? I'm not just talking about the ones that look and think and act like you do. God demands that you love all of your neighbors, all of his creation, the same way that he loves you. That means caring for and speaking the truth to all of them boldly, just as Christ did, but also lovingly, as Christ did. That means not backing down or softening up on the hard parts, but not just using those hard parts as a battering ram or a beating stick, Instead, having the goal of repentance and faith for all our neighbors. No, if we use the Ten Commandments, we don't love God the right way. We don't love our neighbors as ourselves. We are sinful. That much is certain. What do sinners get? Sinners die. Since sin fights against us, we also face death. You feel it now, especially this season of the year, don't you? Who wasn't there at your Thanksgiving dinner that always used to be? whose chair was empty. Which Christmas card will not come in the mail this year because the person who sent it is no longer around? How many of your acquaintances will mention to you during the Christmas season how they miss a loved one who's been gone? We face death. Not only does sin at war against us, but also death is persistently stinging us, persistently chasing us. Sin and death 
and Satan also. Satan wars against us with those two tools. He seeks to have us abandon God who created us. He seeks to have us forget that God has redeemed us. He seeks to undermine our faith, to cause us to replace God's word and sacraments with a Christmas spirit and wrapping paper. Lights on the house. He seeks to have us slowly and apathetically forget Jesus. You are at war. You are. And you've seen it lately in the news how war destroys everything. Buildings, homes, crops. Roads, lives. And the war that sin, death, and the devil wages against you also destroys. And if it's fought in you, what is the target that it seeks to destroy? It's not a really joyful picture, is it? Kind of depressing, sad, wearisome to think about. That's not the kind of thing we want to hear when Christmas is drawing near, that we're at battle and that we're being destroyed by sin, death, and the devil. What response could we as Christians have against such a story? What could possibly defeat those great enemies that fight against us? Is the battle we're in even winnable, or are we doomed? Christ is coming. What happens when he arrives? Will we be rescued, or will we be condemned? How do we know? Finally, we look to our Old Testament lesson for today. How do we know what is ahead for us? Because God sends a preacher, a voice, a voice crying in the wilderness to prepare the way for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is coming. This is its preparation. And what does the voice say? It says this. Comfort. Comfort. My people. It doesn't say condemn. It doesn't say destroy. It doesn't say wreck. It doesn't say punish. It says comfort. Comfort. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Tell her that her warfare 
is ended. That her iniquity, her sin, is pardoned. In fact, the battle has been won, and the war with it. No, you did not win the battle. Christ himself won the battle. The coming one is victorious. In fact, his victory is declared by the voice which God sends to speak. And the voice points to the victory, points to Christ, points to what he has done to win the battle for you. Jesus won that battle on the cross. That's why we have so many of them here in the building. So that we may point to that cross, to that victory, to God. It's on that cross that Jesus defeats sin and death and the power of the devil for you. It's there on the cross that he wins a victory which he bestows upon you in the waters of holy baptism. That's why the font also is front and center. That's why you pass by it to come up to the altar rail where you also eat the sacrifice of the body and blood of Jesus who hung on the cross, who laid in the tomb, who rose from the dead. You eat that body and blood in, with, and under the bread and the wine. He gives this for you, for your forgiveness, for your life. From the cross, he sends his own voice into your ears, echoed by the voices of the pastors who preach. Father, forgive them. It is finished. With those words, the war is over. With those words, sin, death, and the devil lose. With those words, you share in the victory of Jesus Christ. In his death and resurrection, the victory is attained and in his word and in his sacraments, his victory is shared with you. That's what happens here in the divine service. The good news is preached to you from the heralds of good news. Voices are sent to you to proclaim the glory of the Lord, to reveal it to you, to absolve your sins, to administer God's sacraments. This is why our epistle lesson is all about pastors. Paul says this, this is how you should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries, the sacraments of God. A voice cries out to you in the wilderness of this world, preaching God's word and pointing to God's Son. In that word and 
in those sacraments, you receive God's grace. Now, you're a Christian. Now, you have faith in God. You no longer trust in yourself, for, as Isaiah says, you are grass, temporary, fleeting, passing. Instead, you trust in Jesus. Behold, the Lord comes with his might. Behold, his arm rules for him and his reward is with him. Behold, Jesus. Behold, your God. Your good shepherd who gathers his lambs into his own arms. Behold, Jesus, the victor of sin, the resurrector of the dead, the crusher of Satan. In him, the war is won. And so, even though we live here in the battlefield of this great war, with its destruction laid all around us, the evidence of sin, death, and the devil, We still have joy. We're still glad because we've won. Christ has won. We have joy. That's why we wear rose today. We have joy as we go about our day-to-day lives. We have joy as we repent of our shortcomings and failures that still cling to us here in this world. We have joy as we interact with the people God has placed in our lives. We have joy as we show compassion for those in need. We have joy. We come here into God's house to behold Jesus all over anew. The war is over. The victory is won. Even though it seems we're still in conflict, we know we're victorious. We have comfort, comfort in Jesus. In the name of Jesus, amen. Now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. This has been with Intrepid Heart Sermons by Pastor Adam Moline. The words, with intrepid hearts, come from the conclusion to the Book of Concord where it is written, By God's grace, with intrepid hearts, we are willing to appear before the judgment seat of Christ with this confession, and give an account of it. We will not speak or write anything contrary to this confession, either publicly or privately. By the strength of God's grace, we intend to abide by it.